We judge things too hastily. We judge things too hastily. We judge things too hastily. And then we suffer. Right? This thing happened. Immediately, you define it as bad. We don't allow enough time. I've said in videos before that we should use time. We should not let time use us. Now we know time is a construct, but when I speak of time, I have to say it in reference to how we've come to understand it. Cause and effect is what it actually is. Causation, but time is the best possible word at this moment that I can use to convey the meaning of what I mean to you. Don't give things enough time. I want to reiterate a couple of points that I made in the previous episode about how when things happen, before we judge something as this is a bad thing, we pause and we say, we don't know yet if this is a bad thing. Another thing that I said was that 80 to maybe even 90% of the things that happen to us are absolutely in the gray. They may seem bad at that moment, but not enough time has been given for you to accurately and fairly judge a particular event as bad. It's about 80 to 90%. And I give that percentage because I know that there's going to be a person, there are going to be people who comment and say, well, there's a lot of things that are bad, that are definitely bad. And absolutely, if you are presently on fire, that is absolutely bad. There's no way to spin that. That is absolutely bad. If you are presently about to be harmed, brutalized, maimed, tortured, you cannot spin that. That is absolutely bad. And I'm not even going to attempt to say, hey, maybe in the future that horrible, horrific, terrible thing that is absolutely like it's just... You know, like a normal person looking at that would go, that's terrible. I'm not even going to fix my mouth to say that, yes, you should look at that and see the good in that. No, that's not what I'm going to do here. I That's, in my opinion, it's unrealistic. Some things really are just plainly fucked up. But our day-to-day existence, our internal monologue has us moving as though or I should say with the same reaction, with the same reactivity as those 100% bad things. It's usually stupid things, that 90% of things that occur, that just give it some time, and that thing that you thought was a horrible thing might end up not actually be a horrible thing, right? But 90% of the time, we're moving through life as though we are that that one thing that you're pressed about right now is the absolute worst. It's like the same as though you're being mentally, like you're being tortured. It's the same as though you're being waterboarded. It's the same as though you're present. Like you're moving with the same level of pain. And so I'm not here to speak about the 10% or even the 5%. I feel like 10% is still a lot. You know, the majority of people are living a majority the majority of their lives, the majority of their days are predominantly okay. 
there are inconveniences, there are annoyances where things don't go the way you want them to go. But for the most part, you are not in a constant state of pain. I said 90% of people and about 90% of the time. And that's all I can speak to, right? I, I'm not speaking to the exceptions. I have been in moments, I've had moments in my life where it's pain. You cannot spin it. And I don't have any desire in that moment to to give it space to say, well, this could be a good thing in the future. No, fuck that. I'm suffering. So bear that in mind that that's not what I'm attempting to do here. But for the most part, what grinds our gears, right? You're expecting a package. It didn't show up. But we react as though it's like the worst possible thing that could ever happen to you in existence, right? You call somebody, they don't answer, you text them, they don't respond, or you get ghosted, or you have a job opportunity and you didn't get the job, right? Or somebody breaks up with you, or, you know, it's like your mind will take those sort of small things that in time may not be terrible. And I'm not belittling your pain because I'm speaking to myself as well. I think the analogy I used in my last episode was, you know, I'm happily married now. But there was a time when I was going through a divorce and that was painful. And the way I mourned the ending of my marriage um, and the circumstances in which it ended Looking back at that, if I knew, if I had just given it enough time, if I had had a time machine and I had gone back, if I have a time machine now and I could go back to when I was in so much pain to tell myself, hey, actually, you're okay, (laughs) right? It's okay. All of that sort of additional pain that I allowed my internal monologue to kind of stockpile, to pile on. Because what I was crying for wasn't just, okay, this is ending. It was also all of these other things that my internal monologue was telling me what the ending of that marriage meant. Right? So it was just dogpiling additional suffering. Which is what the internal monologue tends to do. Which is what these intrusive thoughts tend to do. I've been hyper-focusing this week on free won't. Free won't. Pure rebellion. Pure defiance. It is very tempting for us to sort of seek out to defy authority out there. Right? I'll, I'll be the first person to say, you know, fuck convention. Right? And you make your own morality. So long as you're Doing good and harming no one. Make your own morality. Most specifically, harming no one. We make your own morality. But you know who the biggest... Do you know what is the biggest slave driver? It's not out there. I verbally expressed myself out loud today. uh, Sort of a violent reaction. A violent outburst, if you will. Against the number one authority figure in my life. What is the number one authority figure in my life? You would think that it was something like, oh, 
the government or we're, we're so busy raging against the out the the outside the external myself included and those of you who listen to the podcast you know you can listen between the lines do you know what the biggest slave driver it's that voice right there in your head in my head Remember, when I say voice, I, I'm painting in a broad stroke. It could be the emotions. It could be all the stuff that comes with the internal monologue. I broke it down on the Instagram um, video I posted. Gods with demons in their heads. Uh, it's on YouTube as well. The biggest slave driver is that thing. What is it? What is it? Right? First thing in the morning, as soon as you open your eyes, it begins its commands, right? You pick up your phone, you look at it, and it's like, be upset at this. And it does it so fast, right? First thing happened to me, as soon as I opened my phone this morning, I looked, and immediately there was a text message. And immediately my internal monologue told me that that was something I should have been, I should be upset about. It spun it. It took something as mundane as, here's a message, and it spun it. And I felt the anger. I just opened my eyes. And then I stopped myself and I slowed down. And I put my phone away. And I began a new mantra that I don't want to say was communicated to me. I just, I woke up with it. Sometimes I have dreams where I feel like I'm having, it feels like I'm having, it's not even feels like. I am having conversations with with somebody. I don't know because I don't remember because the moment I open my eyes here, the majority of it kind of fades away. It slips like water through the fingers, right? But a lot of my dreams I have, I am having conversations with maybe myself. Who knows? But I always tend to wake up with these great sort of revelations. And then I quickly grab my phone and write out, Whatever it is that I can remember before it slips. The video, my TikTok video that ended up getting like 7 million views that went viral. That whole entire transcript, I woke up in the middle of the night and typed it out on my phone. That was like a, like the whole script came to me while I was, quote, asleep. Which is why I don't think that when we sleep, we're gone. Which is why I don't think that when we sleep, our minds are shut down. Even sort of materialistic um, scientists have basically said the same thing, that a lot of their problem solving they do while they're sleeping, which is a contradiction to what they're saying when they say, well, your brain while you're sleeping is just defragging. How is it defragging if you are solving complex equations and problems and inventing things that you couldn't come up with or invent while you're awake? You're basically saying on some level that your your waking mind is less intelligent than your sleeping mind. Now, my response to that is, outside of our bodies, we are omniscient. Outside of our bodies, we have greater level or greater access to information than we do that we have while we're in this body. I repeatedly say that the function of this body is to perform a limiting function. The body limits consciousness the body limits the soul the spirit whatever word you want to use to define it who you really are the function of this body is to limit now 
my theory on that, and I'm going to say it now so I don't forget, my theory on that has to do with, I guess the easiest way, let me rephrase it as this, the easiest way to answer the question, why would a God choose to be limited in human form? God's debris is a great read. I don't remember the author's name right now, but God's Debris is a thought experiment. It was a great read. But I had the idea, the question kind of came to me. Could it be, well, it wasn't a question. It was more of a statement. Could it be that the reason why a God would choose to become man, to exist as man, could it be is be the same way why a dominant, I'm smirking right now, a man who is a woman who is dominant out in their workforce, when they come home, they prefer to be submissive. I want you to table that. I hope I remember to come to it. <laughs> I hope I remember to come back to it. But if you are constantly, right, if you're, if you are continuously, just constantly powerful, sometimes to be without power is a welcome respite. I want you to really think about that. Sometimes to be without power is a welcome respite. I think the word is respite or respite. I know that we toggle between prison and school. And my favorite pet theory on the nature of our reality is it's entertainment. People hate that. They're like, why would you say it's entertainment? Because, you know, life imitates art. Art imitates life. Think about what we spend a lot of our time doing for the most part, right? When we're not working, we are basically, we love being entertained. You're listening to this. You're learning from it. But it's also on some level you find it entertaining. So my thought process is that, hey, whatever it is that we truly are, likes to be entertained. Our lives sort of read like a plot, like a narrative to some sort of story, right? Each individual that you interact with, their characters or avatars, right? Yourself included. Joe, Joe Lee, that's an avatar. It's that I have temporarily taken on. What I said to one of my friends was this. I said, there's no guarantee that when you sleep, and I've said it on here as well, so pardon me for the repetition, but that's how we learn, right? There's no guarantee that when you sleep, you're only gone for eight hours. It's eight hours here, six hours here, but the way time dilation is set up, you literally, when you exit the matrix while you sleep, you could exist for a millennia as a goddess and then come back here for a day as a break. Imagine that. Imagine that's really what's going on. Because honestly, to tie it back, the conversations that I wake up with that are echoing through my mind, they're not, the, the concepts that are been being discussed with whomever it is that I'm having these discussions with are complex. I mean, at the end of it, as I'm opening my eyes, I'm only catching like wisps of it. But even that translation or interpretation of what's going on is still tainted by our perception of what we think this world is or what we've been programmed to think this world is. It could very well be this 
as I re-emerge into our reality, into this reality, the brain begins to perform its function, which is to edit out the extraordinary for the most part. And so I'm only able to sort of pull in bits of conversations that perhaps it was I having with other godlings before we enter in. But once again, it, it's a it's a fun idea. It's a fun thought. I really want you to think about this, that you think that you're sleeping for six hours. And so you think you're just laying there for six hours. But a good analogy, a great analogy that I enjoy is um, the Sims and the time dilation that occurs with when you play the Sims, right? Like um, the Sims, they don't like an hour in the Sims world is like a second or a minute in ours, right? So there's a time dilation thing that occurs. But I'm saying like, invert that. You, as you go to sleep tonight, you think that you're going to just sleep for six hours and you're laying there. And that could just be part of the game. That's just part of the simulation. That's just the underlining plot. You know, it's entertaining as a powerful dominant godling to enter into this world and pretend to be human. But what if every time you slept, you existed in another dimension for the equivalent of a thousand years. Then each day, it's literally a thousand years to one day. And you come here and you, you, you get bogged down with the bullshit in the one day. But on some level, there's a part of you where this is some sort of weird vacation. Right? This is some sort of weird <laughs> BDSM thing. Right? right? Where you have a powerful God who temporarily chooses to lay down its power to become a human. I, I talked about this in the God Boulder Omnipotence Paradox. Right? If you go online and you Google Omnipotence Paradox, they say that there's this paradox that, uh, here, here it is, I'll tell it to you. Could an omnipotent God, this is supposedly a paradox, and nowhere in where I read all these articles that they come to the conclusion that I came to, which was like, well, I'm about to tell you, not patting myself on the back or anything. I'm just saying that this is a, I didn't make the paradox up. Uh, some people, based on the comments, some people thought that I had made the comment up or made the paradox up, but I hadn't. So the paradox is this, can an omnipotent God create a boulder so heavy that he or she cannot lift, right? And the idea behind the paradox is that if you, no matter how you answer, it negates the existence of an omnipotent, uh, of an omnipotent God, an all-powerful God. Because if you say that, yes, an omnipotent God can create a boulder so heavy that he cannot or she cannot lift it, then they are no longer, can no longer be qualified or classified as omnipotent because if it's too heavy for an all-powerful God to lift, then he's not all-powerful, she's not all-powerful. The inverse of that is that if they cannot create a boulder that's so powerful that they cannot lift, then, and there's, then said God cannot exist as all-powerful because therein lies its limitation. It cannot they cannot create a boulder so powerful that they cannot lift. But to me, it's not a paradox because one, that 
all of that all of that ideology is based on our understanding of what is possible but an all all powerful entity a super intelligence would exist outside of what we believe can think of or conceptualize as powerful right so we keep wanting to shove God into a box or shove God into a book. I have a video that's kind of blowing up right now on Instagram and I'm getting swarmed by a lot of Christians and all they keep saying is go read your Bible, read your Bible. You don't know what you're talking about. Like just like that energy. And I don't respond because it's funny to me that you think that an all powerful, all knowing, whatever it is, intelligence, super intelligence is what you read about in that book. That book it's almost an insult, to be perfectly honest. That book, I've read it. I grew up Christian. My father is a pastor. My mother is Catholic. So I, I, I grew up going to a non-denominational church, you know, on the weekends. And then I was going to Catholic church in the week. So I, I, I've got the gist. I also minored in religious studies in college. I've read the book. To think that whatever it is that created this very complex reality is what you see in this book is <laughs> an insult. It's an insult to think that whatever it is that created this world, created us, would essentially we would be better than. Because in that book is an entity that condones rape, that condones violence against children that condones genocide that is what you think that's what you want to worship that is what you think created all of this that's what you think you are a child of it's weird to me not judging i'm just saying it is a weird vibe to me um and because i choose not to subscribe to that then i'm going to burn in hell for eternity so the whatever it is that that created this avatar that made me look at that and say, I, I think that you are better than this would burn me for all inter- eternity because I, <laughs> because I, I believe that whatever it is that created this world and created this, you know, our avatars, not us. I said this world, right? This world, not us, because I also don't believe <laughs> that we are we were created who you really are consciousness intelligence cannot be created it's energy it could be modified it can exist in a different form right but nothing uh, creation most people when they understand creation they think about something that gets sort of like pulled up out of thin air but even in the same book in the same bible if you read the genesis story their creator is working with elements that are already present because Creators cannot create things out of nowhere. It has to work with what is already present. So if you as a creator have to work with what is already present, then the whole idea of something coming out of nothing is null. There is no creation. There is no beginning. There is no end. Existence always has been. Period. Maybe things have been modified over, quote, time, but it always cycles back. It's a circle, it's a cycle, it's a loop. There is no beginning, there is no end. And that goes for you. You don't die. Your story of your avatar may come to an end, at least based on the paths that you've chosen. 
right? But you <laughs> just loop the same thing again. Maybe you take a different path this time. Should you choose to play as this particular avatar, you might choose to come back as me. And you might choose to play me in a different way. But to think that all of this, all the things that are probable, is confined within one book that has caused the annihilation of whole cultures, the enslavement of whole people, the denigration of whole genders. You want me to think, to, to, to venerate that is an insult. But I, tr- I try not to engage. I usually just come on the podcast and talk shit because I figure they're not going to listen to the podcast, right? Um, at least I wouldn't have listened this far. Yeah, I just talk to you guys about it. I just leave it because it's, what's the point? At that point, you're not even communicating with the soul. You're communicating with their internal monologue that has completely, because it, it's, you know, those kind of comments, they're not, it's not a conscious comment. And so I don't, I try not to interact with NPCs. And what I say NPCs, it's not to denigrate them, as some of you may know. I have chosen to redefine NPCs as not presently conscious, not as non-player characters dismissing the whole human being, but as not presently conscious. So I try not to interact with people who are not presently conscious. That should be a shirt. Anyway, to go back. How do you know that when you sleep, I keep going back to this because it's my, it's like my favorite thought for this month, that when you sleep, you don't exist. Because I, I, I was even, I was still limiting. There's a couple of videos I put out like a few months ago where I still limited myself to the sense of, okay, you're going to the fourth dimension. You leave this third dimension, you go to fourth dimension, fifth dimension. But gosh, who's to say, why, why would you be stuck in any dimension? You literally could just check out and then literally do whatever the fuck you want outside of this body. And then you come back, right? And we think... Oh, okay, I'm just going to go dick around for six hours and come. You could have been gone for 6,000 Earth years and have been every single person. And then as soon as you come back into this world, you know, the brain does this thing and it limits you. But I feel... That when I am waking up, it's sort of residual interaction. I'm definitely interacting with somebody. There's a nice lady on Instagram that's been commenting. I can't think of her username right now, just relatively recently. But she was talking about how we're not alone in this world, which obviously we know that at this point in time, right? And she said that the entities that kind of are in this dimension communicate telepathically. And my response to that was, and this, of course, if you're operating from kind of a warm's eye view in the sense of um, you are on earth, not from like a God's eye view where you realize that like even the entities that would be interacting with you on some level are still you because existence itself and everything in it, it's all the same thing. So even an alien in a different form is the same intelligence in a different form. I got to finish editing that video so I can post it. All right. So 
Everybody's playing a role. You're playing as a human an intelligence in a different form. Even if it's an auditory consciousness, it's still an intelligence. Even if it may be the antagonist of the simulation, right? Every story needs a villain. So even if they're the villain in our story, the, the, the slave driver, it's still part of the game. So it's still an intelligence playing as a non-physical, non-corporeal entity. It's all still God. Quote, God. It's still you. But I've been finding that I'm pulling tidbits of information into this world. And so one of the tidbits I brought in was a new mantra. And I'll share it with you. There is no good, there is no bad. It is what it is. We do not judge, we just observe. It is what it is. I'll say it again, there is no good, there is no bad. It is what it is. We do not judge. We just observe. It is what it is. I woke up with that repeating in my mind. Like I heard it. So I wrote it down. And while I, you guys are probably at this point regulars, you guys are familiar with my past mantra. Hari Rama, Hari Rama, Rama Rama, Hari Hari. Um, Just to disconnect from the internal monologue. But this one. When you actually pay attention to it, it is, it has proven to be a shield because, like I said, even in that mantra where it says there is no good, there is no bad, it is what it is, there's a temptation for you to say, well, you just said, yeah, 10% of the time, some things are inherently bad. But understand that when I say things like that, it's because, look, my hand, I have one hand tied behind my back. I can't express myself without being, you know, I have to be sensitive Right, because if I say, you know, I, I lost my little sister when I was ten years old. Right, she was five. That's a horrible thing. My mother lost a child. That is a horrible thing. It would be insensitive of me to say, but in the grand scheme of things, if we're gods playing as humans, she is a godling. She hasn't passed. She's just shifted form. Her consciousness is still out there somewhere, just existing in different form. While it might be beautiful to me, and while I might be able to accept that based on everything that I've learned, and all of my crazy sort of weird, and I mean crazy in a good way, sort of wild, intense, and beautiful experiences can point me to that, where I know in my heart that, yes, the way she passed, she was hit by a drunk driver right in front of our home. The way she passed was horrific. I would not wish that on anybody. And for somebody so beautiful to experience that level of pain and then suffer for three days, it's terrible. So I'm not, I, it's, my hand is tied behind my back because at the end of the day, simulation or not, We still experience these experiences. It is, it's still real to us. I say real in quotes because we still go through the process of suffering, of pain. It's still, it could be a hyper-realistic simulation, but we're still experiencing it. 
So my hand is tied back behind my back. So in the grand scheme, if you truly are a godling, that every night when you sleep, and specifically when you die, you're eternal, you're immortal, you're reigning in another dimension. Maybe you have created a world of your own. And then you come back and serve as Ryan <laughs> or Jane, all right? In the grand scheme of things, if that is true, then something like that isn't necessarily bad because if you are an immortal being, even if it's 20 years of pain, what is 20 years of pain to an eternal? But my hand is tied behind my back because at the end of the day, I am speaking to people who are still of a particular mindset. So in that particular mindset, in these present experiences, in, in this dimension, within the frame of the avatar that you are existing in for whatever given moment of time, that shit still fucking hurts. Still hurts. Still hurts me. I still wonder who she would be, how we would have been. And maybe it's her that I have conversations with when I sleep. And it's her that gave me the mantra. And maybe her is now a him. All right. I'm very close to my cousin. He was born exactly a month and a couple of days after my little sister passed away. And so I suspect because of other things as well, um, that I'm not going to delve into right now, but I suspect that that is her now and him. But outside of form, when we sleep, right, I could be communicating with her spirit as I've known her. And then when, you know, I awake, we go back to playing our roles as cousins. So I say all that. Here's the mantra again. For those within, there is no good, there is no bad. It is what it is. We do not judge, we just observe. It is what it is. That has been a shield that just shuts it down. Shuts it down. Whenever the internal monologue wants to start, it just shuts that shit down. Right? We do not judge. We do not judge. Now to go back, if you're going to rebel, if you're going to disobey, I want to make sure this says disobey. If you're going to disobey, disobey your internal monologue. Because that's what I did. I, I, like I said, I had a violent reaction this morning. When it started in with this bullshit, and I could hear it. Because the more you meditate, the more you separate from it, the more you start seeing how it pushes you, provokes you. And it said, pick up your phone and text. And I put the phone down and said, no, I will do nothing. Free won't. Benjamin LeBay, based on his experiences, he's a neuroscientist, and he said that we may not have much in terms of free will within this dimension, right? All the characters are programmed. He's not saying the characters are programmed. I'm adding my own thing. The avatar is pre-programmed. But to begin to exercise your will, you do have free won't. You can choose to not. You could choose not to. You could choose to, in that moment that you, you hear it, just stop. Do nothing. Do absolutely fucking nothing. Stop. Disobey. Disobey. My husband and I were having an argument 
a few days ago, it was on a Friday. And I, in the middle of the argument, heard the internal monologue provoking and it just started in. It just, it was just saying all this. And normally I would listen. Then some, all of a sudden I was like, if I take the next step, because the next step is you get angry, then you react, then you argue. And then the rest of the day, I saw what my day was going to look like. It was pre-programmed, cause and effect. I'm a slave. Because if I act in this way, in the same way that anybody else in this situation would react, I'm a slave. Where is my will? Where do I exert my will? Where do I deviate? And I said, no. And it was something that really upset me. But I said, no. And he said, no. And we came together and we said, we're going to do something different. How about we don't? Boom, a new path opened up. A new path opened up. A new path was unlocked. Disobey. All knowledge is based on experience. So anything I reveal to you, it's not coming from nothing. It's like creation, right? Everything I'm saying to you, I'm not creating it. It's not coming from nothing. This is not the first time that I've played as this avatar. Maybe the first time that I've just taken a different path. The more you concentrate your mind on something, the more that something reveals itself to you, right? You ever just stare at something for a really long time and then all of a sudden you start seeing shit that you didn't see before because you didn't concentrate why don't you take that same energy and instead of looking outside, start observing your master. Because you know who your master is? It's no nobody out there. It's in your head. You want to say no gods, no master? You want to be a true anarchist? True anarchy starts inside your head. That is the slave driver. That is the god. That is your master. That is driving you. You really do need to be to be, to be paying attention to how it drives you. You've spent your whole life looking out. What if you channeled the power of your focused mind into the mind itself? The more you concentrate the force of your mind on something, the more it reveals itself to you. Everything you need to know lies within the confines of your own mind. But that is why this thing, whatever it is, tries to force you. Hey, the enemy is outside. It's your neighbor, right? It's pushing you to look outside instead of focusing on it. Now, this is a quote from Swami Vivekananda. I've gone back to reread his books, Complete Works of um, Vivekananda. And this is a quote that stayed with me. It says, anything that obeys the laws of causation cannot be free. Anything that obeys the laws of causation cannot be free. You want to call yourself free? You want to say no, no gods, no masters. Start with the slave driver within. True anarchy starts in the mind. Free won't. Free won't. You will not. I will not. I will not. I will to 
not do this thing. I will not react. I will choose a different path. I will do something different. I will stop and identify and listen, truly listen to the internal monologue as it drives me. But you will not drive me. I will not do as I am programmed to. There is no good, there is no bad. It is what it is. Everything is perfect. Sisyphus must learn to love his rocks, right? Does he know the story of Sisyphus? He's cursed to push the rock up the hill only to have it roll down again. So my life, I've been aspiring towards something, waiting for the next whatever the fuck. Instead of just enjoying moment to moment, day to day. I learned to love the mundane. I stopped looking at my goal. I stopped having goals. I think ultimately in the back of my mind, I would love to get somewhere. But that's not the point of this. The point of this is the experience. It's really tempting to listen to the internal monologue as it tells you, oh, you're not going to go anywhere. I, I'm, I am going. I'm doing it right, right now. Right? Oh, you're just doing the same thing over and over again. Okay. But I enjoy it. I enjoy it. No gods, no masters. True anarchy. Start with the slave driver that's in your head. Thanks for listening.